Welcome to the My Intimacy Therapist podcast. I'm therapist and coach, Shade Giovanni. If you want to feel less anxiety in your relationships and enjoy a confident and spiritual intimate life, you're in the right place. So grab a cup of tea and a warm blanket and let's talk intimacy. Hi, this is a very, very special episode about relationships and healing from the ways that we have had toxic, dysfunctional relationship patterns in the past. That being said, there is some mention, some reference of trauma and abuse. Um, We do not stay on that topic for long. It is in the context of us talking about where this special guest is coming from and then how she healed from that and moved forward to a healthy, vibrant, beautiful relationship now. So I just wanted to let you know, feel free to skip over that part if you need to, or you don't have to listen to the episode at all. Let's enter the episode. I am really excited for you to hear what Ivy has to say. Here we go. So here with beautiful soul, (laughs) Ivy, Mm. I would love for you to let the people know what you want them to know about you. Mm. It's really great to be here with you. Thank you for having me. Um, My name is Ivy Kwong. I am 41 years old and all the regular stuff, marriage and family therapist, life coach, author, speaker, (laughs) and more than anything else, I really believe our identities continue to evolve and change and shift and grow. And at this point in my journey, I can say that I am in the first truly deeply conscious relationship, Mm. intimate love, romantic relationship I've ever been in. So that is an identity that I'm excited to share with those who are curious today and anything else that comes up. Anything else that comes up. And I feel like you, you understand and can appreciate the reason I even ask guests to introduce themselves that way is I think that as we evolve and grow, titles become less central to our identity. Yeah, they're more they of do. like a footnote. Like we happen to be therapists, but here's what's central to what we're being yes. right now. Yes, being this. Here is where I am at this point on my journey, where my essence is. I can say all the other things: retired professional dominatrix, survivor of adult sexual uh, abuse, and child and adult sexual assault, and just all of these things that we've experienced that mm-hmm. contribute to who we are, but no longer have to continue to be how we define ourselves. Yeah. Hmm. And inviting you into this specifically because I wanted to talk about the messy. And mm. you seem like the perfect person. To <laughs> I'll be about honest it. about the messy. We can go to the messy. So anywhere you would like to start, I'm sure we'll just wander away through it together. We'll figure it out. So tell me about what relationships have been like for you, because I think there's a lot of um, stigma maybe, or even misconceptions about being in a relationship coaching or therapist space. Mm -hmm. and pursuing relationships we are not perfect of course not no absolutely (laughs) not I history of relationships I mean just starting Mm -hmm. from the earliest relationship right Mm -hmm. how we are how we learn about what relationships are and and what they look like um growing up as a child of immigrant parents from Hong Kong and Macau there is very much uh I love my parents I respect my parents I appreciate my parents and there was a very much um, an environment of conditional love. Hmm. So conditional love and also just exchange expectations and roles that you're expected to fulfill if you're going to be accepted, loved. And so I learned that I had to accommodate whatever it was my parents wanted for me and wanted of me in order for them to love me and to avoid punishment. So in order to seek pleasure, at least neutrality and avoid pain, there were very clear rules about what was allowed and was not allowed. So you have to perform, you have to get good grades, you have to obey, you have to accept that what they wanted for you was 
better than what you wanted for you or more right than what you Mm -hmm. wanted for you. So from a very early age, there was a questioning of my ability to trust in myself and what I wanted, what I needed, what I felt, because what my parents told me I wanted me and felt was often very different from what I did. But again, growing up in that environment, I'm dependent upon my parents for survival. And so I will learn to survive by accommodating their way of living and being and moving in the world and not knowing anything else. Yeah. And so I was raised in a conservative Christian household where it was very much academics are what's important. You need to make sure that you study hard and get a good job and make a lot of money. And then at some point you can get married and have children and all of those things. Mm. Um, so this was the plan and expectation. So I didn't date at all in, in high school. Um, I borrowed a friend's boyfriend to take to prom. <laughs> um, I entered the University of Michigan and as a college freshman, actually lost my virginity to a violent rape. Mm. And so that was a really traumatic experience because when I called my parents crying to tell them about what had happened, they called me a slut, called me a whore, told me wow. that they were ashamed of and disgusted by me. So really, I mean, oh, when you think sorry. about the level of trauma, any sort of animal in the animal kingdom, if, if, uh, if a child, right, if one of the one of the babies goes to the parent for comfort, support, protection, they're supposed to receive comfort, support, and protection. Mm-hmm. And really what happened to me was I was, I went seeking comfort, support, protection. What I received was rejection, shaming, and rejection. Yeah. And that was a time in my life where I, survivors of sexual assault sometimes become hyposexual or hypersexual. Right. Mm-hmm. And I became hypersexual. I reached, I, I, in my mind, I kind of made sense of what happened with the understanding, the false belief that, okay, God didn't protect me, right? Because mm. I've been raised, with, and, and my parents didn't protect me. So therefore, I am not worthy of protection. I am not worthy of care. I'm not worthy of love. I'm not worthy of kindness. And that belief really informed all of my romantic and sexual and intimate partnerships for such a long time. I really got to a point where I was I believe trying to unconsciously harm my body because I had embedded that belief so deeply, like I'm not worthy of protection. So why does it matter if I even live or die? There are points in my life where I was taking, where I was engaging in really risky behaviors where I could have died. And and really that just leading to a journey of, if I don't recognizing that if I don't take care of myself, I don't love myself, I don't figure a way out of this, then I'm not going to be around for much longer. And through a series of events, we all find our ways into the realms of, of personal growth, of self-healing, of healing in general, through all the different avenues that are available. Because at one point it becomes too painful to keep going and living and believing the way that you have been. It's no longer serving you. Things that may have helped you survive in the past, things that helped me survive in my childhood yeah. had become to harm me and hurt me instead of help me. Yeah. And that's when I was like, okay, if I keep going the same way, I see where this is going to lead me. And I would like a different possibility, something I've never known. I've never known unconditional love. I've Mm. never known complete care, protection, acceptance. And I want that. (laughs) Like I have to believe, even though it's something I've never experienced, I want, I have to believe it's possible. I have to believe it's true. Like something in me, even when it's very small, was like, I think there's another way. And so that really was the driving force of my journey in the past few decades um, that has led me to where I am now. So I'm happy to elaborate on any part of it and in the present part of it, whatever you yeah. feel you would like to. Uh, even as you talk on. about it, it's, um, I feel that. I feel it with you of all the pain that comes with that. Mm. Um, and the sense of hopelessness that can come with that where it, for, for anyone to get to the place where they have to decide, I, for my own survival, I kind of got to put away my needs or desire to be cherished because apparently that's not an option. That is such mm-hmm. a painful place to be that I think a lot of us can relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, in which for those of you listening, hypo and hypersexual 
um, us, our therapist lingo, <laughs> hyposexual being kind of uh, an avoidance of it or a aversion to it um, can be a spectrum. And then hypersexual being risky behaviors or, you know, a drive that is increased, not necessarily just out of being bad. I guess it's more of the the place where it's coming from, the motivation mm. for the sexual behaviors. But right, right. Hyposexual, the avoidance of you can de- develop a conditional vaginismus where yep. literally if anything, like you can't even sort of Q-tip inside yep. of your vaginal because there's a protection of the body against it. And sometimes people um, will gain a lot of weight so that they can try and prevent mm-hmm. anyone from being attracted to them and prevent any sort of possibility of that attack happening again, you know, through the risk of being attractive to a potential attacker. And yeah. again, these are things we do unconsciously and we don't necessarily choose it. And, and hypersexuality, perhaps they can really risky sexual behavior. A lot of partners, again, not from a grounded place of presence where you're even choosing it. There's right. just, a, for me, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, for me, there's like, I don't, I don't care. Mm. And, and there is a, a very much a, almost, I think, I didn't care, but I hoped someone would care. I remember yeah. so many moments where I hoped someone that I was about to sleep with would look at me and ask me like, and see the pain in my eyes and ask mm-hmm. me like, hey, do you really want to do this? We don't have to do this. Like, I really hope that someone else would be able to take care of me for me. And that never once happened, not mm, once. Which then becomes like this reaffirming belief that I must not be worth it. Exactly. Yeah. Then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so how do you or someone listening, how do you get from this place mm-hmm. of being? And then you get to your rock bottom. Maybe we could call mm-hmm. it where you're just like, oh, I had several change. rock bottoms. Yeah, several <laughs> rock bottoms where you're like, well, how did I get here? Something has to change. This is not how I want to continue to be. And for me, really, whatever your spiritual practice is, I believe that I was, I believe like the universe kind of protected mm-hmm. me in many different ways from things that could have been worse. For example, um, I went to Burning Man at one point by myself. Wow. By myself. And I was, <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm ready to have the experience. I'm ready to have. And, and it, there are places, and I was in a place where I was really vulnerable and susceptible yeah. to potential predators. Yeah. And the first day I was there, in the first hours I was there, I was riding around my bike and I went across a really flat, bumpy piece of land, that flat land that turned bumpy. Um, I flew up. I basically hit uh, the crossbar of the bicycle really hard. I ended up um, splitting over my labia. What? Like a, yeah. Like one and a half inches, bleeding everywhere. Oh. They told me in the Burning Man hospital tent that I would have to leave because they didn't have the instruments that were delicate enough to tend to such a delicate area. So basically the universe was like, nope, I really feel like I was protected in wow. that moment. Like, just no, like you are not going to stay here. You cannot stay here. You will not stay here. Or we're sending you away so you can go heal, particularly this area that I was injured. Right. In, right. Like my labia. Wow. And then a, a little while later, after I recovered years later, I was going to go to, I was traveling. I was going to go to Japan. I was like, oh, I'm just going to be there alone. I'm going to go, you know, all these hot snowboarders. I will just do whatever I do there. And I don't care. And, and the week before I was supposed to leave for Japan that winter season, I hit a tree snowboarding with oh my, my pelvis and I fractured my inferior pubic ramus. Oh, come on. And that injury took me out the entire ski season. So I ended up recuperating. Recuperating. So I just, I believe that there are signs that happen. And so listen to, I, I believe there's some, like some energy that was like trying to protect me and like, Hey, you are worthy of protection. And if you're not going to do it, if no one around you is going to do it, there's something greater that's going to do it. So just listen to these. I don't believe in coincidences. So if there's mm-hmm. been things in your life where you're like, Oh, wait a second. Why did I get sick at that point? Why did I get hurt? But what did that protect me from? That would have prevent me from experiencing it. At some point I was like, I'm going to see these as miracles and blessings instead of accidents. And if I take that possible belief in that I perhaps am worthy of protecting, if the universe is looking out for me, even when I am not looking out for myself, then perhaps I, what would happen if I started looking out for myself? And so when you ask there's at one point a shift in belief and however that happens for you, whether it's a conversation you've had, a person you meet, something that mm-hmm. happens that kind of triggers a reminder that you are worthy of protection, care, and love. If you can start to hold on to that small little glimmer, then the work comes and fanning it into a flame. Oh, and wow. So how do you fan it? 
from that point and re-engaging with romantic relationships from your new, right. What if this is true? Mm -hmm. Yes. This new possibility. So for me, there is a combination. I think there's so many different paths to healing. And so therapy is one path. Coaching is one path. A lot of embodiment is one path, physical practices, yoga, for me, meditation, for me, there's been this journey and this practice with my teacher in Maui. Um, her name is Jody Mountain. She practices uh, Kala Hoku and her lineage is from, learn from, from Hawaiian Kahuna and all of these things. And it's just mm. a practice where you are present with yourself in every moment. I realize so many of my actions behaviors are me trying to escape from myself, mm -hmm. me trying to leave myself, me trying to not have to be connected to myself. And so in this practice, there's, there's so much to it, but some of the practices involve Ho'omanamana, which is this practice of like very, very, very slow movements where you are with your body and listening to how you would like to move and what comes up. Our body holds and stores our memories, yeah. both our joy and our trauma. And so much of it, I believe there's as much wisdom in your pinky finger as there is in your mind, but we don't mm. really check in with different parts of our physical body that hold this wisdom. So there's a practice of really coming home to my body in a way that was gentle, in a way that was quiet, in a way that was very safe, because I wasn't trying to do anything. I was just being with my body and listening and breathing and meeting what came up without judgment or shame or rejection. But, oh, okay, there's pain here. I'm going to allow myself to be with this pain. Oh, there's fear here. Oh, there's a lot of anger. Here. Oh, there's a lot of rage here. And instead of in the past where I tried to avoid challenging, difficult, uncomfortable feelings and behaviors, there was the practice of really sitting with it and not intellectualizing it. Because I think the moment you start to think about Ooh, a feeling, yeah. it, it goes <laughs> away and you're like, oh, where did it go? You try and grasp for it again. Like just, just the practice of allowing. And so for me, in the practice of dating, yeah. I started choosing partners who were very different than what I'd been attracted to before. So before there was this, again, unconscious wiring, I would meet people who would, I remember I've been engaged uh, five times <laughs> and, okay. and my second, uh, my second fiance, I remember when I met him, it was in a bar. He was kind of like, you know, moody in a corner. And I went straight up to him and I was like, hi, I'm Ivy. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, you should stay away from me. I'm not a good guy. Interesting. And I imagine for many people, there'd be a, thanks for the warning. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> I will see this very huge red flag in front of me and I will keep this. <laughs> but for me, I was so drawn into, I was so, I was like, Ooh, this Challenge person has accepted. to be mine. Yes. <laughs> And I realized there was some sort of way that believed the harder someone was to love, the harder it was for them to love me, the more worthy I would be of love if I was able to love them and get them to love me. Yeah. Yes. It was almost like a video game. Like you get more points if you go for this person who's emotionally unavailable, if you go for this person that is unaware versus going for this person who's just wants to see and love you. Like I was really drawn I don't know if anyone can relate to this who's listening, but- Oh, I can relate to it for sure, but- <laughs> Yes, right here. Oh, yeah. Anyone else raising their hand right now? Because this, again, this belief that I could be more worthy if I chose someone who didn't see me as worthy and then convinced them was I was worthy. In a way, I think I was trying to replay a lot of my childhood stuff. Yeah, like, sure. ooh, my parents who don't believe I'm worthy unless I earn it. Here I am trying earning. to- earn, Earning love, earning, earning affection, earning care, earning- the opportunity to be chosen and thinking it had to be hard, thinking it had to involve pain, thinking it had to involve suffering as opposed to ease because that's all I'd ever known. Mm. So I shifted from choosing partners who made it very clear up front. I'm not emotionally available. I'm not interested in a relationship. I am not down for that. I would, as much as part of me wanted to chase <laughs> that and fix it, and mm -hmm. and win them over. Win the prize. Win the prize. Oh, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. And so I was like, <laughs> no, I'm gonna stop, gonna stop playing that game and let's see what happens if I choose someone who says that they would like a, a loving partnership, says that they would like to communicate clearly and openly and honestly, say that they and so I started the shift 
And I really believe that you also attract someone who is kind of at the same space where you are, where you need to, where you're at, where you're at with each other. Like attracts like. Like attracts like. And so I started my journey. I started talking to these people who said that they were, but really weren't. And I think that I was saying that I was ready, but I really wasn't. So of course, (laughs) of course, that's where I would be. And so there were, there were those lessons and those experiences. And I realized that at one point I was not truly emotionally available. So I was still saying that I was, but I wasn't and attracting people who would say they were, but they weren't. I was like, okay, there's more work to do. (laughs) How do I open myself up to this, to more vulnerability, to more honesty, to more, truth where I stopped engaging in ways where I would chameleon myself to be what they wanted. Cause also there was a not knowing who I was, not knowing exactly. what I wanted, only having my identity be a reflection of what they wanted to see me as. And so for me, for a long time, that was how I got love. Oh, you like, you like water polo. I like water polo. You like watching sports. I like watching sports. I hate water polo. I hate watching sports. Right. <laughs> like, I can own that now. I can say that now, but I, for a long time, there was really a, let me do all the things that you like so that you'll like me. And so these people would see reflections of themselves, essentially and fall in love with that. Be like, cool. Yeah. I love me, but I wasn't that. And over time I would become so bitter, so exhausted, so resentful, trying to keep up this front that wasn't true. And of course that's, that's not, that's setting up for failure every single time. I, and I got bitter, like, how come you don't see me and love me? Cause I wasn't showing them who I was. Cause I literally could not see me. I wasn't allowing right. myself to be seen. And so there was a period of time where I, and this is not for everybody, but I took time off from dating and relation. I took a, I took a sabbatical. I was like, yeah. you know what? I'm just going to spend time with me and get to know what I actually, what I actually want to order at a restaurant, how mm. I actually want to spend my time, what actually lights me up. Cause I didn't know. No. So I started taking myself out on dates. I would go have, meals by myself in restaurants. I would go watch movies by myself that I chose to watch. And I would leave if I stopped enjoying the movie. Hmm. And so I gave myself permission to start really getting to know myself independent of any relationship to get more and more idea of what that might be and to allow myself to experience real joy, not from a place of because someone else likes this and will make them happy. Because, ooh, I'm allowed to experience joy and pleasure and happiness, not for anyone else, but for me. And so that was, I took a period of three years off. Yeah. I really did a deep dive into a lot of this work. And it was lonely. And I learned that loneliness can't kill you. (laughs) And I learned that there is a difference between loneliness and aloneness. Yeah. And getting to the point where I started to cherish my own company, mm-hmm. where it became, if you would like to spend time with me, then you have to be sweeter than my solitude. Oof. Really, truly getting to a point where I have to like how I feel around you, not just change how I feel to be what you want. And so this was a process and this changed with every new partnership or relationship that I would engage in because I started being more me and I started having the courage for the first time in my life. Cause real talk previously, I was so not wanting to hurt people that I would never want to break up with them. I wouldn't want to hurt their feelings by breaking up with them. So how oh, I break man. up with my past partners was to cheat. That was somehow Blow in my the brain, relationship. how I rationalize not hurting them. Cause if I cheat, then they can break up with me and they'll feel better about it because they can break up with me and I'm not breaking up with them and they'll feel like they have control of the whole situation and I'll just be this bad guy that blows everything up mm-hmm. to save their feelings. Like this really made sense to me. Hey. I don't know if you can really, anyone else can really, but nope, absolutely sense to me in my brain. And so I realized at one point, like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like that is not... <laughs> preventing someone else from feelings, but like feelings are going to get hurt. I don't know where we came up with this. No one's feelings should be hurt in relationship. Your feelings are going to be hurt. And that's the part of the un- unavailability. The emotional unavailability is not understanding how to manage the fact that that feelings will be hurt and mm. avoidance of feelings being hurt creates 10 times more hurt than dealing mm. with it on the front end. Yeah. Yeah. 
that trying to avoid the hurt leads to greater and greater and greater hurt. The avoidance of the festering wound leads to it becoming more and more and more festering until it to amputate. But yes, it's, it's, so things are going to, we're going to hurt each other as humans unintentionally. And I'm speaking about unintentional harm. Because if there's intentional harm happening, you get out of there, yeah, right? Like abuse is not okay. <laughs> like there's, in, someone's intentionally trying to hurt you, abuse you, gaslight you. That's like hard, no. Like that's like a hard limit. Yes, red flag. But if it's unintentional harm, because both of you have come from different backgrounds and different experiences, and you don't know what each other's triggers are, when unintentional harm happens, there's an ouch. And there's learning to acknowledge the ouch and to yeah. speak the ouch. Even if you literally say, ouch, mm. just to even acknowledge to yourself that that hurts and mm-hmm. to share with the other that hurts without shaming them right? Like, ouch, that hurts. And I would hope that all who are listening are in or confined or create a relationship where when someone says, ouch, the other person is curious to learn and understand why there is that ouch Mm -hmm. and to do differently so that they can prevent that ouch from hurting in the future as best they can. This is a process of learning and healing together. This is a process of interdependence. If someone hurts you, it's not peace out, goodbye. Like, let me cut you off forever. Like, I can't trust you to take care of me. It's a, okay, we're human. We want to do better. How can we learn from this? And I think for me, for a long time, I did not want to hurt anyone else. I was real sensitive. If someone told me that they had an ouch before, I would be extremely aggressive in my defensiveness. Because what does that say about me? Exactly. I'm not the type of person who hurts people. I'm not the type, of per, the type of person who hurts people is a bad person. And I'm not a bad person. So let me show you how I'm not a bad person. Let me give you all the reasons why I'm not a bad person. And let me tell you how you're actually the bad person, right? So like yeah. this, this pattern, this deeply met my own shame of hurting someone caused me, prevented me from being able to actually heal that hurt, heal my own shame and heal that hurt. And I sabotage a lot of relationships like that too. And I wish I could go back and make amends to all those folks who I hurt because I didn't know how to deal with my own hurt. And so there's been a learning, continual practice of, oh no, I hurt you. Ouch. I'm sorry for hurting you. Ooh, if I feel shame or, or, or regret or sadness or fear, it's because I don't want to hurt someone, but I love you and I care about you. So help me understand what hurt you. And, yeah. and I will learn how to do better in loving you. Mm. And I'm sorry for hurting you. So there's so much in that that was so hard for me for so long. But in conscious loving relationship, that's something that you have to practice. Every day. Because otherwise, every, every day. Every day. <laughs> every day. And once you learn one level of it, there'll be another level of it to learn. Absolutely. But this is the process. This is the process. Uh, and so, yeah, that's over the process. Over the, and, and again, Sometimes you take one step forward and two steps back. You're like, okay, I'm making, oh, what just happened there? Mm-hmm. And, so, and so my journey of relationships led me to a point where I was able to see more and more of what lit me up and what didn't, what resonated, what didn't. And I believe that you should like, love, and respect your partner. Wow. Yeah, Liking, like loving, and respecting. They're, diff- they're, they're all different. They're really important pieces. And, and you also can't force chemistry, but be careful not to, con- yeah, not to confuse chemistry for the comfort of chaos. Tell people mm. what the comfort of chaos is, because I think a lot of people are in that. Mm. I know that for me, the comfort of chaos was the hot and cold, the ups and downs, the, the drama, the things being hard and the, the rubber band, you're running away, I'm chasing you. I'm running away, you're chasing me. Like all the highs of that, high highs, low lows. And it being a norm. It, so for me, honestly, in my, in, when I started embarking upon more and more healthy relationships for me, I was bored. I was a bit distressed. Yes. I would cause some chaos. So I was like, wait, this is too peaceful. This is too calm. I'm not used to this. My nervous system is not used to experiencing peacefulness nope. in relationship. Something must be wrong. Something must be wrong. And then I, if nothing happens that's wrong, I create something that's wrong because mm-hmm. I'm uncomfortable 
being comfortable in a relationship. Wait, yeah. where's the pain? Where's the suffering? Where's the stress? Where's the anxiety? And so it takes time for your nervous system to be able to calm down and trust that it can have peace. It can have rest. It can have safety. And my partner now has been through it <laughs> with me. Mm. There, he, there's been, I've, I've had difficulty transitioning and adjusting. Well, yeah. Tell to, us about that. Tell us how did you even, so you've done a lot of work, 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 mm-hmm. work, work again, work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and at some point you are at a place where you're even able to identify the type of partner that you have. Yes. See that and stay mm-hmm. with it. So how do you get mm-hmm. from that to now where you guys are? So I met my partner via a matchmaker on Zoom. This is during the pandemic. (laughs) So can't meet in person. Everything was on Zoom. Yeah. Everything's on Zoom. Everything is on Zoom. And my heart for all those who have been and are and were single during the pandemic, because there's this isolation that so much of us were in. And and as humans, we need connection. We need physical touch. We need presence. And so sending so much love and tenderness to all who are where they are and have been where they've been. And we met on Zoom. And the moment he came onto the screen, Mm -hmm. my system settled. I felt really calm. And I think before, on first dates, I get get excited. I'm like, Mm -hmm. let me talk about me. I'm going to learn about you. There's this kind of like frenetic, almost hyper energy. that I love getting to know people. I love connecting with people. And also with him, there is a calmness and a groundedness. And his eyes were so kind. Mm. I just feel like the kindness in his presence. And before for me, that would have been boring, you know, okay, here's a per. I felt like here's a person who I don't need to fix. And before my reaction would have been, well, I'm not needed here then. That, that the needed, he doesn't need you. Yes, he doesn't need me. And before if I needed to be needed, let me be as useful as possible to you. Because if you need me, then, then I'm, then you can't get rid of me because <laughs> you yeah. need me. And it was really scary because I think there's a deep fear of if I'm not needed, am I worthy enough to be chosen? Am I enough to be chosen by someone who doesn't need me? That had never happened before. Mm. And so immediately there is this calling for me to be a more, an even more embodied version of myself. I'm like, Ooh, I gotta be me. Here's someone, here's a man who is so present and so in himself and so not need, not boy energy, not mm-hmm. help me, fix me, change me, not, I need a mommy energy, nope. but like I need an equal energy. And I was like, Ooh, <laughs> if I am going to connect with this human, I need to be in my, in me, in myself. And so that was where we began. It was not me trying to figure out how to help him, how to fix him. It was me just showing up as myself fully and him showing up as himself fully and us choosing to continue exploring this possibility of continuing to know each other. Yeah. And, and it happened very quickly. Hmm. So we met August 11th. And we moved in together on September 1st. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> and I don't normally <laughs> recommend that. Yeah. Like, really, like, take it slow. And, you know, I'm 39. He's 40. Yeah. We'd been through a lot to be able to recognize what was and what wasn't. Of course. And we found out later that there was a lot of unconscious work that was happening there. Because as it turns out, he had a really strong, like, savior complex. <laughs> like, oh, let me have this works you. too. Yeah, he said, works too. Hello. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so in the months at, that we began, it was, it was hard. It was hard. Because I had not broken out of so many of my patterns of believing and being and conflict And so I I know that so many of our arguments were triggered from my insecurity of not being enough. Of course. Yeah. And so in those moments, I would 
reenact my pattern of, oh, oh I'm, not, I'm not enough, feeling insecure. I'm going to push him away mm-hmm. because when I'm feeling that worthy, I just want to be alone to remind myself of my unworthiness. Mm. And he invited me, hey, when you're feeling like that, I can come closer. And in those moments when you feel the most unlovable, the most insecure, I can attach to you securely and remind you that you are all these things that you are. Not telling you you are, not teaching you, not being the reason why you are, but but just reminding you Mm. that you are. And that was really uncomfortable for me. Yeah, I was going to ask what comes up for you when someone says, go away, go away. Back up. (laughs) You're in my space. Right? Like in moments where I feel like I don't want to be, like parts of me don't want to be seen. My insecurity, my shame, my my imperfection as a human, my the things about me that I have a hard time loving and embracing and accepting. To let someone else see them, to let someone else in to potentially hurt them. Hmm. But, oh, wait, you're not hurting them. You're holding them. Hmm. And that helps regulate me so that I can hold them too. So I talk again, again, the the regulation of your nervous system. I would be extremely dysregulated. And then he would help. We would co-regulate. He would help with my regular, with his, because he would stay very present, very calm, able to hold all of it with me. And it was hard. It was painful. I felt like I was going through withdrawal. Yes. It's so hard. Exhausting even. It's exhausting. Yes. But there's there's an exhausting clinging to what you've known because it's all you've ever known. And I think there's this fear of, well, if that ever known, and I don't know if anything could be different. Well, all and, and then all of there's, I think, this fear that my whole life that I've lived, wow, I didn't have to live that way. I think there's a huge grief there, too, of, wait, I'm getting now what I wanted so badly when I was 5, 10, 15, 20 years old. And a heartbreak in that that's really hard and heavy to sit with. Just yeah. Gratitude and grief. I, I believe you can you hold gratitude in one hand and grief in the other. As much as you can hold one, you can hold the other. Mm-hmm. So there's so much gratitude for this, but there's also so much grief. And and in both. It's not either or, it's and in both. As is it is for everything. And so that's absolutely one of the lessons learned. And going from independent, co- going from codependency to independence to interdependence has been a journey. It really does pendulum kind of swing like that Mm -hmm. because we kind of recoil from whatever our thing was, whether that was codependency or independence, Mm -hmm. go to the other one. Mm -hmm. At some point we settle in. So now that you're Mm -hmm. in interdependence Mm. or rather that being more of your baseline than either of the others, Mm-hmm. What would you tell your younger version of yourself and people listening of here's what the happily ever after mm-hmm. myth, here's mm-hmm. what that actually is when the storybook closes and they live their lives. What is that? Mm. Well, I think as long as we have breath, we're constantly writing our stories. Yeah. So the may the chapters continue to be written. <laughs> and what I would tell my younger self is first of all, to trust your intuition and to be willing to become more comfortable with discomfort, not in a way that is harmful, but in a way that can support you in your growth. Yeah. And what I mean by that, I'll I'll just give a, a, a very simple example. So I've been used to for as long as I've been single, having my own schedule, getting up whatever I wanted, doing whatever mm. I wanted upon waking up. <laughs> and so in the years of my singleness and dating, I would get up when I wanted to get up, maybe start with a little meditation or scrolling around social media, mm-hmm. or, you know, just kind of lounging around. And my partner has five children. Oh, five. I've got five. Se- five. Have fun. <laughs> you want to tell me? <laughs> Woohoo, adventure time. <laughs> 
you want to talk about like another level of your spiritual practice go from being a single human for 40 years of your life to having five children yeah five beings and so my pattern was to get up whenever I get up do whatever I need to do and and my and my partner would go and, and wake up every morning and make breakfast for the children and do all of these things. And, and honestly, for the first few months, I was like laying in bed while this was mm. happening. They'd come up and hug me and be like, bye, Ivy, before we go to school. I'd be like, bye, guys, while I'm still under the covers. Yeah. And at one point, my husband was like, hey, can we have a talk about something? And I'm like, yeah, of course. And he was like, I totally you know, know that this is a lot of transition and change for you. And I want you to honor yourself and your pace. And it would mean a lot to me and to the children if you were to wake up a little earlier, join us in making breakfast together, join us in having breakfast together, and just feel into that. And so a lot of things happened inside me when he said that. The first, there was shame. Like, oh, no, I'm doing it right. And then there was also... uh, the part of me that was very much steeped in, well, this is me and I've been living my life this way and just accept me the way I am. There was that part because I've been used to that, but there's also this part of me that was curious. I was like, wow, how would I like to be? How do I want to show up? Not just for myself, but for my partner and for these children. And what came up was, I would like these children to see an example of partnership as, you know, their parents waking Mm. up and being together, not just kind of dad serving mom and children. Like, what am I teaching them? Right. What are they seeing? And also my partner, I would like to step it up (laughs) and Mm -hmm. to show up in a way that I've never been called or summoned to show up before. So if I'd approach this from a codependent place, like grumble, grumble, oh, I have to go up and make breakfast. This is not what I want to do. It's not what I want to do, but there's so much power in choosing to do something you don't want to do, but choosing it from a place of love and honoring for yourself and the partnership and your partner. And that is a decision made from love, not fear or resentment or anger. It's the higher want, both are wants. One's a little bit of a lower lower tier base tier. I want to sleep in blankets are warm. It's a good time. Yeah, I want that. Sure, (laughs) that's that's a want, that's a want. And I want the partner who has a partner and I want these children to have an example of what partnership looks like. That want is so much deeper rooted then my want to have 15 extra minutes of snuggle time. Exactly. And so same action on the outside. Yeah. Different motivation on the inside, it's which everything. results in very different feeling. Because if you do it from a place of fear, anger, resentment, if I don't do this, he won't love me, you know, all these things, that's going to lead to resentment, frustration. It's going to be hard. You're going to not like the, the not wanting. Yeah. But on the other hand, choosing from a place of love, choosing from a place of, of care, choosing from a place of, I love how you said it, choosing from like a higher, higher want, want, higher desire for who I want to be and what I want to create in this world. That actually gives me energy. Mm-hmm. That is actually something I'm doing that I don't want to do, but that I choose to do and that I'm grateful to do and that I love to do because I love the person who I'm be- becoming yes. as I'm doing it. That. Oh. For me, that choice, that sacred choice, like that is a definition of like interdependency where your choices may not necessarily be what you would choose if you were alone, but in this partnership, you will choose for each, for the relationship, for each other and for yourselves ultimately. Mm. So that's been one of the greatest lessons, most humbling <laughs> lessons and most powerful lessons. And that's what I would like to share with my younger self and with all those who are listening. That's so beautiful. And what comes up is um, the people who are in a choosing state for them to be able to choose someone who they can kind of see has a similar mindset as that. Mm. This person's also going to choose the higher one. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, that is so important. It goes both ways. This yes. is not a one-way street. This is not where you're always a giver and someone else is always a taker. Yeah. This goes 
both ways. It mu- that's the interdependency. It must go both ways. Mm-hmm. You must also have a partner who is able to consciously, lovingly, intentionally choose for the greatest good of your partnership, not just for them. And I have learned this from my partner who has a lot more experience in, in long-term <laughs> partnerships than I've had yeah. and, and goes above and beyond in terms of making conscious choices that always consider the us first, mm-hmm. even before he considers the him first. And so uh, I really believe that there are, there's always one person in a partnership who is going to be the person who's more, who's better at like, I love myself. I choose myself. I know myself, you know, yeah. and there's all, another person who's going to be better. I choose the us. Sure. I'm really good at prioritizing the us. And you can cross train with each other. Yeah, absolutely. You can help each other strengthen your ability to choose the us and to connect with and choose yourself. So there's no good or bad, right or wrong. There's just the unique gift of you and who you are that you bring and what you can learn from each other and teach to each other. That's such a gift. And for both of you to be willing to learn, for both of you to be willing to engage and to, again, unlearn and learn together. Like there's so much in that where I truly believe I am becoming more in this partnership as a result of being in partnership with Seaman than I could on my own because yeah. of what I'm invited into that I would never have had the opportunity to even become aware of. That is the unique gifting of relationship is this betterment. We do our work when we come into it. Mm-hmm. If you choose someone to do work alongside of you, it's like you're, what do they call them in elementary school? Like, you know, you had your work buddy or your desk mate and that's like, <laughs> that's who you do all your projects with the rest of the year. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. kind of what relationship is. And when we choose from a mm-hmm. place of the lower, the base wants of like, mm-hmm. I want sex right now, or mm-hmm. I want, you know, someone to go out for dinners with. That's nice. Those are good wants. Mm-hmm. And if that's the only want you choose from and you're not aligned on the higher ones, mm-hmm. what's going to happen next? Right. Right. And that's why, again, just encouraging all people in partnerships and alone and solo right now to do your, just keep doing your work because the more you do your work, the more you'll be able to align with someone who is doing their work and the more you can do the work together. Yeah. I've been in partnerships, but I've been the only one doing the work. Yes, And in this partnership, he is actively, consciously, intentionally, willingly, committedly doing the work. I think also one of the greatest <laughs> elements of a, of a conscious relationship is, is commitment. Yes. Commitment. Oh boy. <laughs> Tell us about commitment. <laughs> <laughs> commitment. <laughs> okay. Commitment. Yeah. It's a thing. Um, so I think in the past, I was afraid of hard work. I wasn't willing to do hard work. I was not willing to be fully committed to the process. I was willing to be committed to as much as I want to get out of it. And as much as I was willing to bring to it, but not willing to do like the deeper committed work. So there have been moments in our relationship where we had no answers. We didn't see a way forward where there's so much pain on both sides, so much grief on both sides, so many unanswered. Like, I don't know how we moved through this or past this. And so both of us at that point could not see a way forward. Right. And I think that in most relationships, most people get to a point where their relationship where they're like, ah, I think every relationship. Yeah. And perhaps not just once, <laughs> like multiple, yeah. times at multiple levels. People think that, oh, once you're together in partnership, la, 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 you never no. think about it ever. But I think some of the strongest, most powerful, most honest, most loving, most conscious relationships I've ever known, everyone's gotten to a point at least once, if not multiple times, where they're like, I don't see how we, I don't, I don't see how we continue this. I don't see how we can move forward. I don't see how we can, and in those moments, commitment, faith, and belief. Yes. That yeah. somehow you will, as opposed to being like, this is it. Goodbye. Let's just cut it off. Let's just separate. Let's just end oh my it. Goodness, cut off. Right? Like the choosing to stay, even as it is hurting, even when you don't know the way forward, even when the easier option would be to separate, would be to say goodbye, would be to cut things off, would be to let each other go. Being in the discomfort of the unknown and mm-hmm. finding a way, a new way through it together. Yes, the belief part, and this is why I really like um, asking couples who are in this place, 
Mm. What do you currently believe about each other? Or what do you believe the other person believes about you? Because Mm. those beliefs you have under the surface are then dictating every single action you make. Every single one. Absolutely. So if I believe Mm. my partner um, overall is pretty selfish and doesn't care about me and Mm. is always going to choose himself. Mm -hmm. then um, as I'm making breakfast, that's the heart I'm coming from. And as I hand Mm -hmm. it to him, that's the heart. Mm -hmm. And it, it, the words I say, the words I don't say, everything is fueled by the belief, the beliefs, the beliefs of what you learn to be true as people, you, you know, during the dating process, during the partnership process, you will continually learn who and where your partner is. Mm -hmm. And that informs your beliefs. And so I believe, and I believe my partner believes that we both know each other's deep commitment and we both know each other's deep love. We yeah. both know each other's deep intention for each other's and our relationship's highest and greatest good. Yeah. And that is what in moments where we can't see a way out helps us find a way out. Mm. That's what keeps us connected instead of disconnecting emotionally or physically or otherwise. Mm-hmm. That's what allows us to keep practicing and choosing love because that's the foundation and the commitment to love. And again, if, if at any point we truly believe that being with each other is not in the highest and greatest good for each other's well-being and for our relationship, then we will honor that. Mm-hmm. So I don't ever want to be in a relationship again where the, where the foundation is fear. I'm staying with you because I'm afraid and I don't want to be alone. We've already invested so much into this and there's a sunk cost. And I've been in relationships like that. Yeah. And it feels so different to be in a relationship where there's a a choosing each other every single day, Hmm. an intentional choosing of each other every single day, loving choosing. And, And what that allows you to create from that space of safety and of trust and of knowing and of communicating with yourself and with each other. I have such a sadness for the way that relationships are taught right now or not taught. Um, Not just on movies, TV shows, um, music, relationships you've seen in family or with friends where it is a version of fear. I don't want to be alone. I'm afraid I won't find someone else like this. Um, the chasing narrative of like, that's, that's the person I should choose is the one who comes in the rain and kisses me and all of this around an avoidance of one thing or these core beliefs of not being worthy. Mm -hmm. You look at how our society defines success of a relationship. And I'm curious Mm -hmm. to know your definition of success of a relationship, how to share mine. So many people define success by longevity. Which yep. is not not really <laughs> defines success. How many couples are out there sleeping in separate bedrooms right now? No matter married how many fifty years, sixty years, 50, yep. right? And so, how do you define success? And the way our society defines success is so different than I mean, everyone gets to define success however they want. But I think so many of us unconsciously or consciously allow society culture to define what success is for us, and then we feel trapped to repeat Mm -hmm. these narratives of what we've been taught and told. Two things come to mind for me. The the Mm -hmm. first being a relationship that is not on autopilot to me Mm. is one that is in the lane of success Mm. because I'm not super interested in the relationships that are like, well, we've been together 10, 10 years, you know, every, things are okay. You know, we, um, we get the kids ready for school. We, um, every now and then we go out for date night, you know, we're okay. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you are, but you're also not living. Mm -hmm. Um, Not personally. That's Mm -hmm. not how I want to live this life. And then the other part Mm -hmm. being um, kind of how I tag the end of all of these episodes is fully seen, fully known, fully loved, which is ever evolving. Mm -hmm. Um, You may have known me when we first got together and you did, and now I'm someone new. Mm-hmm. And so you get to know me again. And I get to know you again. Mm-hmm. And you see me and I let myself be seen and vice versa. And that is the continuous refreshing of the relationship. That to me is success. Mm, I love that. I love that. I love the whole, I, I know when people say like, 
you've changed. I think it's a bad thing. It's like, like, no, yes. it's a wonderful thing. Yes. yes. How about you? Tell me more. <laughs> yes. Yes. I am changing and I would love to get to know you as you are. And I would love mm-hmm. to get to know me as I am. And I love all of that. And mm. yes, yes to everything <laughs> you shared. Yes to engaging in relationship. And, and again, compassion to those who are in survival mode in the relationship, maybe with new children and just trying to like function with, yeah. with little sleep. And sometimes we are on autopilot, but if we can keep coming back to consciousness, if we can keep coming back to the intention of how are you really, how am I really, let's make time and space for that, you know, in, in the work world, people have, you know, meetings all the time to check in the health and wellness of their business. Yeah, And it's like, how often do we intentionally make time and space to check on the wellness and well being mm. of our relationship and yeah. to be I, mindfully approaching what's really going process. on. I tell people kind of sassy. Well, my clients <laughs> know I'm sassy, but I tell people do what you want. Just be honest about it. So if you're going to, um, you know, let's say your partner asked to connect and you choose to stay late at work instead, mm-hmm. just say that then, you know, uh, I do remember that you wanted to have a date tonight. Um, I would rather stay at work because I'd rather avoid talking to you. Just be honest about it. Even real if it's honest. to yourself. Real <laughs> honest, real honest, owning your truth, being as kind as you can in the communication of it, but also being honest. And, and I'll give you a recent example of yeah. honesty that hurt, but was honest. Mm-hmm. And so we were watching, we were watching a show, my partner and I were watching a show and there was someone talking about the couple on the show. And they said, this couple is so amazing because they really balance each other out. They really, mm-hmm. you know, give each other balance. And I was all cuddly and smelling with my partner. And I was like, do I balance you out, honey? You know? And he paused for a moment. He was quiet for a moment. Ooh. And he was like, I know, and I know, I know. And they have a little five-year-old's heart is like beating really fast. Like, don't I balance you out? Am I not the most wonderful person you've ever met in your entire life? Like really wanting yeah. this worthiness, connection, validation. And he paused and he said very gently and very kindly and very brutally, honestly, like, honestly, honey, like, no, <laughs> like you haven't brought balance into my life. Like it has been really, a lot of what we've been through has been really challenging. And it's been an adjustment for me. And it's been challenging me to stretch beyond the capacity of what I thought ah, I could hold. Wow. And I'm so grateful for this journey because I'm learning more about love, more about commitment, more about what's possible in this connection. And it has not felt balancing. Mm-hmm. And at first it was like a huge ouch for me. I'm like, oh, oh no, ouch. 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 My ego is like, no, but you're supposed to tell me that I am the most wonderful thing that's ever happened to you and you're oh. that I really danced. And I was like, Whoa. so I took some breaths and mm-hmm. and we had a conversation about how his life did become because he he's been a father since he was 21 years old. Uh, He's been, he's, he's had this life filled with a lot of responsibility and consistency and stability that he's had to create for himself and his children, you know, married for 15 years. Like he's had, and for me, I'm, I've been, woohoo, I'm all over the place and here I'm traveling here and here. And my life has been much more spontaneous and all over the place. And so when we came together, there was definitely an adjustment for both of us. <laughs> He's like, mm-hmm. my place has more stable and peaceful. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm not used to stable and peaceful. <laughs> and so I, and again, the, the compassion for, for both of us on our journey yeah. and, and loving holding of the truth that I have not brought balance necessarily to his life and the way that he defines balance, but that I have brought, again, much into his life in the realm of gifts of love, of care, of communication, of connection, where he can be more himself, I can be more myself than we've ever been in our entire lives in any partnership previous to it. And it unbalances you. And maybe it's a good thing because maybe the way you were balanced, quote unquote, before was not, again, in your highest and greatest good. For Mm -hmm. me, my being balanced before was continuing to balance the trauma that I had been raised with, continuing to balance the chaos, like that felt balanced. And so for me, I'm rebalancing, readjusting, recalibrating and continue to. Yeah, but none of that can be seen unless there's honesty. 
Yes, the honesty. And so he was honest. He was like, I know that you probably want to hear, uh, yes, dear. He's like, yes. but then I wouldn't have been, that wouldn't have been true for me. And I don't want to have a relationship where we lie to each other. I would rather us be totally honest and have the opportunity to work with and through that than start a relationship based or continue a relationship based on any half truths or or little little lies here and there that build up into distance and disconnection because they do. Yeah. Yeah. So radical honesty is hard. And you can start it with you. Yes. Absolutely. It can start so yeah. small and so tenderly. And so, yes, the practice of it, it's, it's like lifting weights. <laughs> the more you do, the stronger you get. Yeah. Like if you, you set a goal for yourself, you're like, I'd like to eat more healthy this year, then be honest with yourself when you pull up to the nearest fast food place. Like, yes. I know that I, this is against my goal and I'm actively choosing this right now. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I know I probably, it's not in alignment. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what that is right now. And that's what it is. And I love the ownership of that because then you are not a victim to external forces and external situations. Then it's not, oh, I couldn't help myself. Because when you're a victim, when you don't have any agency or autonomy, then anything can happen. And it's also not your fault. Yeah. But when you- Everything's happening to me. Yes. Everything's happening to you. But when you're like, I'm doing this, I'm choosing to fulfill my onion ring craving right now. Mm. And I'm doing it. (laughs) I know, right? Like but like once you own it then you can also own and now I'm going to own going and and buying healthy ingredients to make meals this week right because then you can own it because you can, you can come right back and yeah. in partnership too instead of oh no you know this is just my partner who's saying these things and they hurt me and I don't want to own them or look at it if you if you own it if you look if you're curious every time I share with my partner that he's that something they said or done has hurt me. He will go through it. He will replay it. He will analyze it. He will be like, oh, I see how that could hurt you. I'm sorry. And I'll do it different for him. It's just like, I don't want to hurt you. And so in relationship, if I'm hurting you, I would like to know why. And I would like to change it. And I will make a serious effort to do that. And he has, and I am. And that is a completely different dynamic than any relationship I've ever been in my entire life. That part you just said is huge. He has. So it's yeah. not just the honesty of acknowledgement. It's now the follow through to do something different. The action. It is now the action. It's him learning and doing different and us moving forward, doing things differently and getting different results because what we were doing before wasn't working as well. So, wow. yeah. I've loved all of this. Mm. Thank you. See, I knew you'd just be perfect for the messy. <laughs> Perfect for the messy. What what would you want to leave people with um, for a next step? They've listened to this all. They are in a relationship or have been in relationships that resemble a version of themselves they don't want to be anymore. Mm -hmm. What's their first step? I think my invitation would be to first, okay, look at GPS, right? In order to get anywhere, you need to know where you're starting from and where you want to be. Mm-hmm. So know where you want to go. Know the ideal relationship, the conscious relationship, the intentional relationship, the love relationship. Know that that's your destination. Get clear in that. But also be really clear and really honest about where you are now. Right now. Are you truly emotionally available? Are you truly present with and open to? And so knowing where you are now and knowing where you want to be if you're really honest with both, you can start to close that gap and yep. try and start to chart a path towards that. But if you are not really honest with yourself about where you are, then you're going to get it lost. All over the place. Right. All over the place. <laughs> so, and, and in this process of being really honest, the point is not to shame you for not being where you want to be. The point mm-hmm. is to help you and support you in the journey of that, to help you like be successful in terms of, and, and to be open to the fact that the universe is like also this is where you actually are going to be you know (laughs) in the ways that it does but but being gentle compassionate with yourself in the process giving yourself grace knowing that everything that you've done has brought you to where you are now and that nothing is good or bad or right or wrong it just is and you can take what is now and continue to intentionally craft what you would like to be I love that a lot Mm -hmm. 
Thank you. Where can people find you if they want to work with you? How can they do that? Yeah, um, I'm all over social media at Bear Ivy, B-A-R-E, Ivy, like my bear soul. Yes. Um, and my website is bearivy.com, B-A-R-E-I-V-Y.com. Perfect. Thank mm. you so much. Thank you, Shade. It's such a wonderful time to be with you and to all listening. Sending all of you love and support on your journey. Mm. I really, really, really loved that episode and that conversation with Ivy. After we kind of wrapped up the podcast part, we were talking and I'm pretty sure I'm going to get to have her and her partner on the episode to talk about their relationship and to hear more from the guy side as well and what it's like to enter relationships as adults, as um, blended family, um, all of that good stuff. So that's coming, but I would love to hear your thoughts about this episode definitely come over to Instagram at my intimacy therapist and send me a message. Let me know that you listened to this episode and what your thoughts were. And if you want a little extra, if you want more, head over to Patreon. The link is going to be in the show notes. Over at Patreon, I create extra content. I like to answer your questions um, and send just like a direct message to you specifically based on the questions that you have. And all that good stuff. It's going to be a great space for us to expand on intimacy content. So as always, remember who you are. You are fully seen. You are fully known. And you are fully loved. Thank you for spending time with me. (laughs) We will talk soon.